morning, everybody. How are y'all? Doing well? Enjoying the rain? A little drizzly out there? No, not so much. If you have your, if you have your journal, pick it up, will you? And uh, we want to pick off where we pick up where we left off last week. And I'm just encouraging you to underline stuff, take some notes. I think over the next, I think I'm going to do this in ten weeks. That's the plan. You're going to have all kind of 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 points, references. I, to uh, principles to experience a joyful life. I love the book of Philippians. Maybe my favorite book in the whole Bible. It's quoted probably more than any any other book. It's a it's a book of encouragement. He who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. It's a book of don't quit looking behind you. Forget what's behind you and press on to which is before. It's a it's a book of, of don't worry, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. It's a book that tells us to be content. I've learned what it is to be to have plenty. I know what it is to have not so much, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's a book that talks about our minds, to think on things which are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report. It's a book that tells us how to treat others. Don't, don't only look out for your interests, but look out for the interests of others. But the main theme, the greatest topic, the overarching idea is to experience joy. Paul said it 14 times in four chapters. He, he, he said it in, I believe it's 3.1, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. God, God wants you to live in joy, not just for your good, but for his benefit. Do you know one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy? If you're connected to the vine, you're going to bear good fruit. One of those fruit is joy. Your, your, your connection to Christ is going gonna, gonna to result, it's going to be a byproduct of joy. Jesus said, I want your joy to be complete. He wants more for you than just happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances. Happiness is based on, well, are things good in my life? And if things are good, then I'm happy. If things aren't good, then I'm not so happy. Joy is based on who you are in Christ. Joy is based on the fact that you have a good God and a promising future because he's in it. And, and here's what Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So, so how do I walk in this joy? How do I live out this joy? How do I experience this joy? And there's no greater book to study than the book of Philippians. Last week, it was joy in relationships. This week, I'm going to give you some principles of how to even have joy in the midst of adversity. And, and uh, you, 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 you got to know that, that we all go through challenges and difficulties. And here's how Paul said it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. We're going to get through as many verses as we can, and then we'll pick up what we don't finish today next week. But it says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me. Do you know what has happened to Paul? Let me tell you. Even if you do, let me remind you. If you don't, let me inform you that that Paul was, he he grew up a, a legalistic Jew. He grew up, and he, and he was he was ordained as a Pharisee. So his job, not his job, but they were very, they were very, very embattled in, in with Jesus when Jesus walked on the earth. The Pharisees were 
were, were God's greatest, Jesus' greatest adversaries. Like he was fine with sinners. He was fine with adulterers. He was fine with a lot. Of, I mean, he dealt with them. He interacted with them. He talked with them. He ministered to them. But for Pharisees, it was a whole, just this, and Paul was one of those. And Paul thought he had heard from God to destroy the church. Anybody that believed in Jesus was an adversary, was a foe. And, and Paul didn't think he was a bad person. He thought he was a good guy on the, on, the, on the right team doing the right thing. Until on the way to Damascus, he heard from God, and God said, why are you persecuting me? And he, God transforms his life. And now this persecutor becomes a preacher. And now this guy, the opponent of the church, becomes a person in the church. And all hell breaks out against him. I mean, if you, if you want to define, define, if you're looking for a definition of victim, you look up the life of Paul. He, he's not one to complain. He's not one to argue. He's not one to be critical. He's not one to whine. But he gives us a list of some things in 2 Corinthians 11, uh, 23 and following. He says, I've worked much harder. This is Paul's words. I've been in prison more frequently. And, and listen, if you're going through some adversity today, I'm going to give you some things. And you say, Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't, you don't understand it. Maybe not, but Paul does. Paul understands, maybe he's gone through even more. Just read it. He's been flogged more severely. He's been exposed to death again and again. Five times he received the Jews 40 lashes minus, minus one. 30, five times he was whipped 30, with 39 lashes. Where his back was exposed, his organs were exposed, his flesh was laid bare. I mean, this wasn't just a little, this wasn't a little whipping. This was a beat down. And not one time, but five times, he received 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. One time, one time he was stoned. And that wasn't for recreational purposes. That was with like real rocks and boulders. Three times he was shipwrecked. And here... Here's probably out of everything I wouldn't want to experience. He spent a night and a day in the open sea, like with a life vest on or hold on to a piece of wood. Beat me five times, but don't leave me in the ocean for the sharks to eat me. Just don't do that. I have been, that was a lot funnier than you're laughing, so I'm just going to keep going and you're going to get it. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits. In danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in the city, in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and I've toiled and I've gone without sleep. Tyler is and Alex are a little sleepless because they've had a little baby. Paul's problem wasn't a baby. It was it was ministry. It was, it was struggles. It was challenges. This wasn't a baby problem. This was a big problem. I've known hunger and thirst, gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concerns for all the churches. Paul had been through it. And here's, here's the first principle, lesson, whatever you want to call it to walking in joy even during adversity, Paul had a proper perspective of suffering. Paul understood that in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Paul understood that just because he had Jesus didn't mean his life was going to be a cakewalk 
or a, or a stroll through the rose garden. He understood that, that even with Jesus, that, the rain, that the, the rain, it rains on the just and the unjust, that the good, good, bad things can happen to, to good people. Why, why is that? Why is that? Because of sin. If, again, if you're taking notes, write this down. Uh, adversity, why? Because of sin. This is not the world that God initially created. And back to Genesis, it said, and to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you and all your life will be, say this with me, a struggle. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be temptation. There's going to be, there's going to be trials. When sin entered the world, death entered and sickness entered and hatred entered. Why is there so much hatred? Because there's so much sin. It's not, a, it's not an absence of God. It's the presence of sin that causes all these, this turmoil and this, and this unrest and this uneasiness. When sin entered the world, the world got, it got knocked off kilter. It got knocked out of line, and, 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 and things started happening. So, so what do I do? Do I, just, do I just suffer through this world? And No, no, no. The Bible says that, that you realize this in your home, that you know that in light of eternity, you're just on this earth for a short time. And here, here's how Paul said it. Our citizenship is not here. This is not where we planted our roots. This is not where we've dug in. This is just where we are for a season. But we are from heaven and we'll, we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that, that one day, either by death or rapture, we're going to be taken out of this world and we're going to be ushered into the presence of God where there's no more suffering and no more pain and no more heartache and no more wheelchairs and no more, no more chemo and no more, no more junk that we've got to deal with. It's going to be a perfect world with a perfect God, with perfect relationships and a perfect environment. Sin, sin destroys uh, uh, and, and it brings on suffering. You know, another thing that, that causes suffering, not only sin, but Satan. We have a real adversary. Listen to Peter. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, your enemy is not your wife. You're not, your enemy is not your boss. Your enemy is the devil. And he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Because you know that your brothers throughout the whole world are undergoing the same kind of what? Sufferings. We, we have a real enemy. And he wants to steal and he wants to kill and he wants to destroy. And his ultimate goal is to get you to turn your back on God and give up your faith in Christ. He, you know what Jesus said about Peter? He said, Peter, I've been praying for you because I know Satan wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to sift me. He wants to sift you. He wants to, he wants to undercut and, and destroy and distract and to keep you from, from, from eternal life in heaven and abundant life on earth. And so, and so what do we do? Do we, do we cower in fear? And No, no, no. We armor up. We put on the armor of God. We put on the belt of truth that declares greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We take up the shield of faith that says no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And all those who, who ri rise up against me will fall. We take out the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we stand on God's word and declare, Satan, you're a defeated foe. This is what the word of God says. I resist you 
I renounce you. I remind you that I am a child of the living God and you have no right in my life. That, but but there's, there, there's, there's attacks. There's struggles. Why else? Well, because of, not only because of Satan, not only because of sin, but because of stretching. Trials come in your life to stretch you. To, it, let, me, let me just read what Paul told the church at Rome. We also rejoice. I love about Paul because he's able to rejoice in everything. It, it's like I, it doesn't matter what's happening. I can rejoice because I got Jesus. Everything else is secondary. We also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. There are some things that only suffering can produce. Like, like I've not heard many testimonies of people striking it rich somehow and going, going on a two-month vacation and sitting by the beach and in a hot tub after a great day of, of just chilling and relaxing where God really, he just really did some wonderful things in my life and he taught me the principle of perseverance. It usually doesn't happen like that. It usually happens when you go through a hard time, your kids disappoint you, your marriage is in, in, in difficulty, and, and you're desperate. And you, man, you, man, I got God, you got to work on my behalf, and, and, it, and it pushes you towards the Lord, and it produces per- perseverance and, and character, and, and character produces hope, and hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. So, so when you're going through because of stretching, well, what do I do? You count it all joy, my brother, and because you know that the trials you're facing, James repeats uh, Peter and says, it's producing something in you. So you don't, you, don't, you, don't let your, you don't let your struggles overwhelm you. You allow them to be opportunities to grow you and mature you and develop you into the person and the attributes of Christ. Another reason that we suffer is just because of ourselves. Just things that we do that, that don't honor God. Let, let me read this to you. Don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. Don't be duped. Don't be lied to. Here's the lie today. You can do whatever you want to do. Live however you want to live. But because of Jesus' love, you can, you can sleep with your boyfriend, you can cheat on your wife, you can evade your taxes, you can, you, can be, you, can be, you can cheat at work, but God is a God of grace. Don't, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Listen to me, listen to me. This is the, this is the message of our day where we've gone so, we've, and man, you know I'm all about grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. I'm not saying that at all. But we've leaned so much on this grace side that whatever, however I want to live, I can live immoral, ungodly, and, 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 still, and still expect to spend eternity in God's presence and to have God's blessing. Don't be blocked. What a man reaps, he'll sow. Whoever sows to feed their flesh, I'm going to have it my way. I'm going to fulfill my desire. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to satisfy my appetite. You'll reap destruction. Why? The wages of sin is what? Is death. Just not eternal death, but sin kills relationships. It kills bodies. It kills, it kills, it kills purpose. It kills potential. Sin, sin is a destroyer. And when you reap to please your flesh, you're going to have destruction. But on the flip side, whoever sows to please the Spirit, God, not my way, but your way. God, not my, Lord, I, I want to do what you want me to do. Whoever sows to that, 
from, that, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Like I, I, you probably do too. Deal with people all the time. Man, my finances are in shambles. I, it's just month to month. And, and, and it's so much stress in our home. And there's so much contention in our family. And it's so bad. Well, are you tithing? Well, no, we don't tithe. We, we don't have enough money to tithe. We, we, could, we can't tithe. We're not going to do that. Well, are you, are, you, are you living within your means? No, we're Americans. We don't live within our means. We, we spend everything we have. Are you saving anything for a rainy day, for an emergency? Well, well no, 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 we're not doing that. You know what you're doing? You're, you're, you're sowing to your flesh, and you're going to reap destruction. That's just a principle found in God's word. If you want God's results, you have to do it God's way. There was a young family, a young couple that went through financial peace back in September, October when we did it in a church. And, and since then, I just talked to her a few weeks ago, they paid off $42,000 in debt. They're on track. They're, they're, just, they're just moving forward. And God's blessing them. They're experiencing. They're exper- you know why? Because they're doing it God's way. It's, it's, with, it's with everything, with relationships. Well, me and my wife are struggling all the time. Well, are you forgiving? Are you, are you giving grace, not grief? Are you, are, are, are you praying with one another? Are you spending time with one another? Well, no, no, we're not doing any of that. Well, you're, you're sowing and you're going to reap destruction. You, and I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not meaning to harp and stay on this topic this long. That, this was not my intention. But, but if you... If, if you want the blessing and the favor of God, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, he, dw- he abides, he dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. He does what, and I'm not trying to condemn you, I'm not trying to, because I'm guilty just like everybody is, but I'm trying, to, I'm trying to tell you what you sow is what you're going to reap. Here's how, here's how the uh, Old Testament writer said, he said, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord, and, and, and I, I, like, I want to circle and highlight and underline, if, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, and you observe carefully the commandments which I commanded for you, if, if, if Jesus is your Lord and Scripture is your authority and you're living by it, then the Lord your God will set you high above all nations on the earth and all the blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. There's, there, there's so much correlation between blessing and obedience. Uh, anyway, that's enough. That may be for another day. Here's another time that we suffer. We suffer because of salvation. Just, and this is what the, the New Testament writers uh, they predicted for us. Here, here's what they said. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Like you think people treating you bad because you try to do what's right or you try to live moral or you, you try to let your light shine for Jesus. Like that's strange. No, that's, that's supposed to be the norm, not the exception. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. He's, he's on. Jesus later says, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. It's almost like Jesus saying, if you're not feeling a little fire for your faith, if you're not going under a little persecution, I wonder how strong and how committed and how bright your flame is. Because if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and God rests on you. This was what Paul was going through. Paul, and, and if you look at the life of Paul, you can see he suffered just about through it all. He suffered because he lived in a sinful environment. He suffered because of stretching. God wanted, to, God wanted to do something bigger and better in him. 
He suffered because of his own sin. I mean, he had relational conflict with Mark and, and, and Barnabas and other leaders in the church. And, and he admitted that he had done and said some things that wrong. But in this case, in the book of Philippians, he was suffering because of his commitment and, and his devotion to Jesus Christ. Here's what, here's what he said in Philippians 1.29, back to our book. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. He's talking to us. Man, it's not only a blessing to believe in Jesus, but you're also going to suffer for his sake. Paul had this proper theology of suffering. He, he realized that, that in this world, you're going to have tribulation. And when you have the right perspective, it changes everything. Like if you have this perspective, well, I'm a child of God and nothing bad's going to ever happen to me. Then when something bad does happen, you're knocked off your horse and you're discouraged and you're distraught and what just happened. But if you have this perspective that I live in a sinful world and, and God sins test my way to stretch me at times and, and, and I'm saved and because of that, there's going to be a little bit of heat, a little persecution. Then, then, then when it does happen, you have a right attitude and you can endure it and not only endure it, but you can have joy in the midst of it. And that's what Paul wants for us, that we have joy in the midst of it. Paul, he had a right perspective of suffering. He, he, uh, he understood that that was going to be a part of his life. So he wrote, we're back to where we were, verse, chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, I just told you the list of things, but, but that's not all. Now Paul's in Rome under house arrest. Paul always wanted to go to Rome, but not as a prisoner. He wanted to go as a preacher. He, he's been falsely accused. He's been misunderstood. He's been caught up in the re- political red tape where they basically forgot about him. He, his trial was supposed to be set. His sentence was already supposed to be handed out. He hadn't even went to trial yet. He's waiting on, on a judge to hear his case. And he's been there over two and a half years. And he says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Here, here's another principle, another lesson about walking in joy even in the midst of adversity. Paul had an absolute trust in God's plan. Going to, going to Philippi, going to Rome in stocks and chains was not, God, not Paul's plan. He had this dream, this vision that he was going to be on a platform preaching and declaring the word of the Lord, like Billy Graham preaching to the multitudes and people were going to be getting saved. He didn't know he was going to be in prison chained to a different soldier every six hours. Not his plan. And he had a, he had a decision to make. Am I going to whine? Am I going to complain? Am I going to murmur? Or am I going to trust in, in God's plan and to, and to believe that and to realize and understand that God, God is a good God and Paul chose this route. Paul, Paul chose the route of, I'm going to choose joy. And you know joy is a choice. You choose joy. Paul said, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of what I wanted and what's happening, God's in control. I've surrendered my life to him. God, God is ordering my steps, and I'm going to believe and trust in his, in his plan for my life. And so what happened? Well, it become known. Because Paul had this attitude it, it has become known that throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I, I've said it, but let me say it again. Every six hours, a new imperial guard was chained or, or strapped to Paul, watching his every move, looking at his every interaction. An imperial guard, man, I just spit. That was a bad imperial word, was really bad. 
Sorry about that. Imperial, imperial guard. It wasn't some low-level guard. It was a high-up official. These were the guys that eventually would be the political leaders in Rome. So these were, these were important guys. Every six hours, he got a new guy. So over the course of his house imprisonment, he had over 3,000 soldiers potentially. There were 9,000 of them. At least, I don't know how many, potentially 3,000 could have been taped to to been uh, connected with him. And he didn't sense himself as the captive, but he, they were his captive audience. And he shared the love of God with them. He, you know, he, I don't mean to be whatever, but he, he took the lemon and he squeezed it and he made lemonade. He just saw the good and the bad. He saw the potential in the problem. He saw the opportunity and the obstacle. He, he just saw, he didn't see it as a setback. He saw it as a springboard to do more for Jesus. And he was infused with all this, this joy. He, he, and even when he, when he concludes his letter to the church at Philippi, he says, greet the household in Caesar's palace. And many believe that was the imperial guards that he won to Jesus. It's even... Many scholars believe that Nero, who was the ruler at that time, who would light Christians on fire and use them as lanterns for his cocktail parties, came to know Jesus and was martyred for his faith. In large part, they believe to the influence of Paul. Because Paul trusted in the plan and the purpose of God. Not only was the gospel spread But the church was encouraged. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonments, are made much more bold to speak the word without fear. So I'm in this bad situation. I wanted to go to Rome to preach to the masses. I'm in prison, chained to a guy. But because of it, the gospel is spreading and the church is being empowered. And for that, I rejoice. You know, courage is contagious. You get one guy filled with God, the power of God, it can spread. I'm reminded of the story of David when he went out to fight Goliath. You remember that story? All, all the Israelites, let me paint it for you. They get in the locker room. They get fired up. Let's go. We can take them. We, we can defeat the Philistines. We got, hey, on three right here, team on three. And they run out to the battle lines and he step, out steps Goliath. And Goliath is this overpowering giant, but I mean, he speaks in the low, low, low octave, and he's got muscles popping out everywhere, and, 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 and come on, hey, just send one Israelite out here, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to whoop his rear end and send him back, and they cower in fear, and they run back to the locker room. And day after day, that same situation, they get fired up. Today's the day we're going to defeat our giant. They run out to the front line, and they cower in fear because of of Goliath. Until this little boy, David, comes on the scene. Who's this dude? (laughs) Man, I didn't know you could have muscles right there. Who is this guy? And then he hears him starts cursing and swearing. And this righteous indignation and this, and this courage and confidence, not in his own strength, but in the strength and the power of God comes over him. And then he said, hey, let me take this guy. I, you say how big he is and how he's going to defeat us. I say, look how big he is. I can't miss him. Give me a rock. Give me a sling. You come against me with your, your sword and, and, and your shield, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Prepare to die. Hit him on his head. Knocked him out. Cut a, took out his sword. Cut off his head. Defeat him finally and fully. And you know what happened to the Israelites? Courage is infused through the whole camp. 
And where they were once cowering in fear, now they're on the advance, chasing the Philistines all through the country's fight, defeating and, and, and gaining victory. For Courage. Paul says, my courage, my attitude, my response, my actions, even in the midst of adversity. I, you, know, you know people like that. Like, like, I love Dave Reaver. He's one of my heroes. We had him to the church a few years ago. And Dave Reaver is a Vietnam vet, and he, pulled, he took out a hand grenade, and he was about to throw it, and a sniper shot it out of his hand. And this white sulfurous grenade lit his whole body on fire, and 90% of his flesh was burned off. I mean, he's just a mess. He's unrecognizable. He, he looks like a, like a monster. And, and he gets to the hospital, and he's got a decision to make. Do I cower in a cave? Do I give up on life? Do I take my life, or do I allow... God to do something even in this mess, in this wreck. And he chose the second thing. And he's went all over the nation sharing the, the gospel and the grace of God. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Hundreds of thousands of people have come to faith because of his testimony. The, I sit across, I've eaten with him two times and I cannot eat when I'm with him. Like I order him food and then I just talk because he's slobbering and the faith, I just can't do it. But I'm so emboldened and so encouraged by the strength of a man that lost it all but was willing to give it all for the sake of Christ. Paul said, man, I don't like where I'm at. I don't like the situation I'm in. But if I can spread the gospel, he found out later it was the most strategic place he could be in. If I can spread the gospel and encourage the church, thank you, Jesus. I'm yours. Paul, Paul not only had a proper perspective of suffering, Paul had absolute trust and confidence in God's, in God's plan. Here, here's, here's a few, few comments, a few other things I want to say, and then we're going to close up. I want you to write this down. We, this is kind of the application. We all have a what and don't understand the why. Like all of us, if not now, later. You're going to have a what, and you're not going to, why is this taking so long? Why did you not answer the way I expected? Why did this happen? We all, have a, we all have a what and don't understand the why. Here, here, but here's the next thing. God always has a why behind the what. God always has. Okay, let me give you some examples in Scripture. You remember when... Uh, Abraham went to sacrifice his son. It really, it illustrated the, the, the sacrifice of a dream. Like Abraham had waited forever to have this boy, and now God's, it, God's telling him to put it on an altar and give it back to him. And, and instead, of, instead of cowering, he obeys the word of the Lord, he obeys the voice of God, and he heads up the mountain, and God, superna- God provides. I'm sure he had a, a, a what? God, you want me to do this? I don't understand Why? But on the way back down from the mountain, he gets the why. And God says, Abraham, now I know that you fear me. This was a test. I wasn't going to kill your boy. I wasn't going to sacrifice your son. I just wanted to know if you were fully, completely devoted to me. Now that I know I'm going to use you beyond your wildest imaginations, God always has a why behind the what. When the children of Israel escaped out of Egypt, they're running and Pharaohs and his armies are after them. And they get to the Red Sea. 
We should go back to Egypt and be, be slaves to them people. It's better working 16 hours a day than, God, you bringing us out to, to, to just have this Red Sea in front. We're dead. We're doomed. They had a what? God, you rescued us. They didn't know the why. Well, we can't get through it until God parted it. And they walked on dry ground. And then when the enemies came in after them, God closed it. They didn't. God always has a why behind the what. Well, even Joseph. I mean, you, you could name. You could tell me stories. Joseph. I mean, he misrepresented, sold into slavery by his brothers, lied about by, by Potiphar's wife, uh, forgotten in a prison cell for seven years. Finally, he gets up, he, he goes through it again with this, not this sulking, I can't believe, but with this attitude, God, I trust in your plan. And with his brothers that had deserted him are now before him, he's able to say what the devil meant for harm. God turned it for my good. See, God can take a trial and develop your character. He can take an attack and reveal his grace. The test you endure today can be the testimony you tell tomorrow. God always has a why behind the what. And listen to this, and then I'm done. i almost done. Close to being done. I don't have to understand the why to trust God in the what. Like you know this, right? God's smarter than you. God, God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Um, the praise team's coming back. Don't put up your notebook because I got a few more things to say. I, just to explain... The, in the book of Habakkuk, he's an Old Testament prophet, priest. And he, he's overseeing Judah. Judah's kind of his congregation. And they've rebelled, and they are sinful, and they're, they're sex-crazed, and they're idolatrous, and they're rebelling against God. It's another season in Israel's history where they fully deserted and departed from God's ways. And Habakkuk, their pastor, God, you got to do something about this. I'm preaching righteousness, and they're living unrighteous. I'm... I'm trying, to, I'm trying to build a congregation. They don't care nothing about you or your name. God, you got to do something. And God said, I am going to do something. I'm going to send the Babylonians. That's not what Habakkuk wanted to hear. The Babylonians were their constant adversary. They're, the Babylonians were Judah's, their foe for a long time. And, and the Babylonians were more, more vile, more corrupt, more, more more disrespectful to God than, the, than Judah ever even thought about being. I mean, the ba- and, 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 and Habakkuk didn't understand it. God, what are you doing? This doesn't even make sense. You're going to send somebody more wicked to judge somebody wicked. They're going to get all the victory. They're going to get all the renown. Your name is going to be a mockery. God, you don't know what you're doing. You need to change it. God, God responded to him. I wish he would have gave him a better answer, but all he said was, Habakkuk, I'm sovereign. I know what I'm doing. God said, basically God told him, I know the rest of the story. Your vision is limited. I know the big picture. Habakkuk, you, you, you don't have to understand the why to trust me in the what. I love Habakkuk's response. He fell to his knees and he declared, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fails and the field produce no food, food, though the sheep, though there's no sheep in the pen or cattle in the stalls, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will trust 
even when I don't know or understand the why. So two final questions. Write this down. Here's, here's, here's what we're thinking about. Here's, you've heard the word of God. Here's how we need to respond. Will you let adversity sink you or stretch you? Will you let it destroy you or make you? Will you cause and allow adversity to throw you off track and get you out of God's will or to grab hold of him even tighter and go after him with everything you have? Will you allow adversity to sink you or stretch you? Will you push your agenda or trust God's plan? Well, God, this is what I want. No, 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 no. I'm submitted and surrendered to you. I'm glad Jesus did this. Jesus was in the garden. He declared, God, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, I know I'm about to go to the cross. It's going to be painful. It's going to be humiliating. You're going to turn your back on me because of the sins of the world. I don't want to go through this. If there's another way, let this cup pass from me. If I could push my agenda, I would do it a different way. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't push his agenda, but trusted God's plan? And because of it, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can and will be saved. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean out on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Amen, everybody. Stand with me, will you? And I want you to ask yourself this question. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Here's here's my prayer every week. God, don't let us be a hearer of the word, but let us be a doer of your word. Don't leave without responding. Is it... What's adversity doing? Is it stretching you or is it sinking you? Are you pushing your agenda, what you want, what you think's best? Are you, are you submitting and surrendering to God's plan and purpose for your life? I'm telling you, it's better. God, forgive us today and help us today. Lead us today. Guide us today. God, we, like Jesus, say, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. What did you you hear today? What scripture stuck out to you? What's the Lord trying to tell, tell you and encourage you in, strengthen you with? Speak to us, Lord. We're listening. Help us. In Jesus' name. I want to close this week out by inviting people that are going through a struggle, that are going through a challenge. I love love Paul, what he told the church at Corinth. He said, I got this thorn in my side and it's a constant irritant and I I can't get it out, but, but, but God, your grace is sufficient and your strength is made perfect even in my weakness. You know, God wants to give you greater strength. God, we're gonna pray God delivers you, God helps you. But God wants to empower you with strength. He, in the midst of adversity, wants to baptize you with his joy. Man, I want that so bad for you. And, and I just pray right now, God, will, will you let courage arise in this house? And, 
And that, Lord, we, we won't sit back in pride, but we would move forward with a desire. You know, the Bible says that if you'll draw near to God, he'll draw. There's something about taking a step. You want to walk on water, get out the boat. You, 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 you want to experience God's grace, take a step towards him. We're, I'm going to invite you to the front. I, I would love to take a minute to pray with folks and just believe God and just, and just to pray that God, yes, that he gets you through this and he delivers whatever's going on, but that he gives you greater grace, greater strength, greater hope, greater purpose. Trevor's going to sing it as he begins to sing. If you say, man, I'd love for somebody to agree with me. I'd love to have someone partner in prayer for what I'm going through, the struggle, the challenge. Will you come and just let us pray?